0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and open the word and to look at what you'd have us to to see in the word. We ask you to just bless us, anoint this time, and be with us, and all that will hear this message, that they'll be touched. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Proverbs 31. We'll finish up Proverbs today, and next week we will start Ezra. Starting verse 1. The words of the king... Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What my son, and what my son, the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows, give not your strength unto women, nor your ways to, to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for princes strong drink. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert judgment of any of the afflicted, give strong drink to them that are ready to perish, and wine to those that it be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Open your mouth for the dumb in the ca- cause of all such as are pointed to destruction. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. So we're going to stop there. Uh, this is uh, written by the, some king called Lemuel. We have no idea who it is in reality. The Jews teach that it is. Uh, Solomon, and most scholars agree that it might be, very, very well might be Solomon. Uh, there's no proof one way or the other, so you go with what the speculation and tradition say is fine. But it doesn't really matter. If it is Solomon, then these are these are words that come from Bathsheba, because <laughs> um, that was Solomon's mother. And it says, what my son, and what son of my womb, and... and and what son of my vows so these, she's saying this is my son and it's you know the one that she gave birth to and that she asked for by vows and, and either either she asked for the son or she had dedicated her son to service either either way that that word can be used and this is what we try to do for as uh, when people have a child in, a, in with the church we try to encourage the dedication of this child to God's service charged the church with helping to raise that child spiritually and, and into and to the ways of God, and the parents to take it seriously to raise that child spiritually. And it says, Give not your strength unto women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. So if, if this is Solomon, he didn't pay any attention to it. <laughs> you know, He had just a few, few, few uh, wives and concubines uh, getting up to the 1,000 mark. <laughs> Uh really, really wasn't paying much attention if this is Solomon. And it says, you know, give your strength, your, your, your whole um, being and, and, and everything to, to, the way, to women or to ways that destroy kings. And then you're going to get into one specific one, is strong drink. But things that would destroy kings and anybody else alcohol drugs uh, any sin pretty much you know uh, a king who is a liar would make a lousy <laughs> lousy thing and that would be something to give in given in into so she's encouraging him to follow god okay don't don't try to to please the women don't try to do this follow god first and this is important for us we need to follow god as our top priority and that means following him more than then our spouse, and we we not that we get rid of our spouse or reject them or be mean to them, but God is first priority in our life. And then our spouse would follow us, follow after that, and us toward our government. The apostles you know said we ought to obey God rather than man. And we've talked about that. When they said that, they weren't saying you just do whatever you want and you ignore the government completely, but you do what God says and then you take the punishment for violating the, the laws of the of the of the government and this is the one thing that's important and people and especially as we get more and more into the to the evil of this generation we're going to see more and more of this laws going against Christianity and then us having to pay the price for disobedience to that I think of the the uh, the clerk in the county clerk in uh, Kentucky who says that she's not going to issue marriage license as long as they tell her that she has to give them out to homosexual she won't issue any so now she is in jail and she says that she's not going to relent and so people will make these choices of conscience and know that it may mean going to jail being fined whatever it might be maybe even going out of business we've got a lot of Christian Christian businesses going out of business because they're taking a stance for God and saying we're not going to do these things and so where is our conviction, where are we going to hold up our, our beliefs and say, this is, this is where I'm going to go, I'm going to stand for God. And it's one thing quite, quite truly to say that I'm going to stand for God and one thing to stand for God. And we may find times where we're going to have to stand for God. And that doesn't mean blow our trumpets and say, pay, pay attention to me, but it says, when it comes to a decision, I'm going to stand for God and make that decision and follow this decision. And that might mean our death, it might mean our, our arrest, who knows what all it could mean, but it means taking a stance that might be hard to do. And the Bible's full of prophets who died and, and, and good people who died. Uh, the, the book Fox's Book of Martyrs is a good example of many who died for the faith, you know, just story after story after story of people who died for the faith. And God doesn't always promise us that we're going to have a good long life by being a Christian. He doesn't even promise that we're everything will be good for us the way we would define good. Now he does say that all things work together for good, but that doesn't necessarily mean we would define everything as good from this side of heaven. Now when we get to the other side and look back at it, and God shows us all the things that are involved in it, we'll say, oh yeah, that was good. But we may not think it was good here. And uh and this is where God is saying to us, you know, we're going to follow him. And then she says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine nor princes strong drink lest they f- drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. And this is what he's saying, what she's saying, you know, hey, if you drink, you might forget or ignore, is a better word, ignore the law. Then which laws are they talking about? In general any of the king's laws for, for people, but more specifically, God's law. And this is the problem with alcohol and drugs, is we will forget what we know to be true. We will Our inhibitions will be taken away. We will do things we normally wouldn't do. We'd violate God's laws, ignoring, ignoring his rules, and then suffer the consequences thereafter. And this is what this is. Lest they forget the law and pervert judgment against the afflicted, those... And this literally means afflicted children, the sons of affliction. And that's any poor, any, and specifically younger, you know, you know, younger, but it can be any afflicted. And this is what the warning is you don't want to forget yourself, you don't want to get to the place where you are out of control and doing things, especially as a ruler because especially as a king or a prince, because they could, they could make a law, you know, sit in a, you know a decree while they're drunk and, and cause people a lot of problems. And this is important for leaders in general, not just kings, but leaders in general need to be able to keep their wits about them. They need to be under control. And sometimes people look at them and say, well, look how, look how they control themselves all the time. They never, they never let go. Well, that's because of who they are and what they represent, and uh, and they they will hold themselves tight. They will hold themselves in a way that says, "I cannot just be like everybody else because people look up to me." They, my, you know, I I, I have to be careful. And it's very important on this, and this is what it's saying. You know, this is not. He says, "Let them drink. Uh, give strong drink to him that is ready to perish. Somebody who's going to die anyway. Give them." Let them drink because they're they're headed for they're headed for oblivion anyway, and to unwind to those that are heavy of heart, and this heavy is bitter, you know they're they're everything's bitter they're not they're not turning to God they're not they're not turning things over to God and everything is, and and they're saying you know just let them have it you know if they're really that bad off let them forget for for a short time, let them forget and that's what alcohol and drugs do it it brings people to forgetfulness for a short time. Uh, usually causes more problems than it's worth in the long run, but for a short period of time they forget, and this is what it's saying. You know, if they're really totally despondent and they're ready to ready to go, then just let them. It says, let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Now that no more, I don't like at the end of that because it won't be, it won't be forever. It'll just be for uh, unless you want to stay drunk forever. You would it would be, you know, it would be the not that. And then there's this encouragement to the king. Open your mouth for the dumb in a cause and all such as are appointed to destruction. And this means be the voice. You know, you're the king, you're you're the leader, be the voice for those who are unable to plead their own cause. And then open your mouth, judge righteously and plead the case for the poor and the needy. So this is the encouragement to the king. Do not forget the poor, don't get so wrapped up in your wealth and all your possessions that you forget the individuals that have needs. And this is a critical thing for us is that we forget, that we don't forget those that are in a bad place. Because a lot of times we see people who rise up and they get, they rise above their station, they get rich, they get, you know, and then they forget everybody, you know, they forget everybody they knew. and. It's a two-way street because a lot of times they were got they were out there with their hands out saying, give me, give me, give me. So it's kind of a two-way street, you know, but you're not to totally forget them. And I like some of these uh, football players and stuff that get rich or baseball players and basketball players. They get rich and then they buy their parents the, the nice house of their parents' dream and stuff, you know, and that's, that's probably a good thing. You know, they're not forgetting. Uh, and, of course, everybody in the neighborhood is asking with, uh, around them with their hand out too, which can get them into trouble a lot of times, but... <laughs> But, you know, it, we're not to forget. We're not to forget the poor, the needy. We're not to say, oh, well, you're just stuck there. Get, Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Because that's not a godly view. God is never asking us to pull ourselves up by our own boots. You know, he says, surrender to me and I will lift you up. And the American way is this whole idea of, you know, self-determination I can get I can do it I can I can accomplish anything I set my mind to and don't tell me what to do or not do because I'm the one who's in charge that the rugged individualism of the of America and that's not a godly viewpoint God says surrender to me surrender to me and I will be the one that lifts you up I will be the one that delivers you so it's, it's important for us to get to that get to that point And then we get ready for the poem, and this is, 10 through 31 is a poem in Hebrew, and each verse starts with a letter of the Jewish alphabet. And so it is a poem, so we need to take that in mind. It's not a literal, this is who you have to be, but it is a picture of the ultimate, the ultimate virtuous woman, I guess you might say. Nobody is ever going to obtain to this woman. Because this woman is so high, so so great that, you know, and I think that's what the first verse tells us: Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Uh, If you were to find somebody this high, you wouldn't be able to attain her anyway. So, but it is a it is something to look at and see. But it is a poem, and we want to kind of look at this. So we're going to read the whole poem and then kind of go back and look at it. Verse 10: Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life she shall seek wool and flax and and works willingly with her hands she is like the merchant ship she brings her food from afar she rises up early uh, while it is yet night and gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens she considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard she girds her loins with strength and strengthens her arms she perceives that her merchandise is good her candle goes out not goes not out by night she lays her hands on to the spindle and her hands to the distaff she stretches out her hand to the poor yea she reaches forth her hands to the needy she is not afraid of the snow for her household for all her household are clothed in scarlet she makes herself clothing of tapestries her clothing is silk and purple her husband is known in the gates He, when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes fine linen and sells it, and delivers girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and her tongue is the law of kindness. She looks well to the ways of her household, and eats not the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but you exceed them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised." Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. All right. So we're going to look at this. You know, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? And virtuous is a strong, efficient, able, you know, somebody who's trustworthy. You know, who can find this kind of woman? And when it describes this woman, you're not going to find her. Uh, you're not going to find one that meets all these. And it says, for her price, her value... Is far above rubies, and this means jewels in general. Uh, usually, red jewels, red coral. We don't know exactly what it is, but it's saying something of great value. And she's far above it. Uh, the heart of her husband does safely trust her, so that he shall have no need of spoil, which really should be no lack of gain. He has no lack of gain, but he trusts her. You know, he's not worried about what she's going to do. He can he can trust her to go out. He can do into the business world this is kind of an interesting picture of a, of a woman because most of the time we think about women having no rights back in those days. And they didn't have a lot of rights, but this lady is going out and conducting business and, and setting up her own business and, and trading and buying land and, and probably doing it in the name of her husband without him being involved in everything. But she's out there being very industrious and bringing money into the home. And I think that when we look at this, this is not what we're to, we're, the purpose of this poem is not to say that a woman has to be all of these things, but it really indicates that the woman that, to be virtuous has to be somebody we can trust, we can have, you know, that's gonna be able to do what needs to be done for the family. And and the last part is what's really good about it. And it says that uh, she shall, will, will do him good, not evil, all the days of her life. and again he trusts her so his his heart his innermost being trusts her and she's not going to do you know bring evil to the family name she's not going to hurt him the 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 things that she's doing are going to be pleasant they're going to be good for the family and they're going to be helpful to the family and he can put his trust in that she's not going to go out and and Muddy the name, the family name, and and make bad transactions and make bad products and get them out there and say, hey, you know, because because you can't sue me because I'm a woman, I'm just going to give you garbage. You know, she's out there honoring the family, and it says uh, she seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands, and this is the idea that she's clothing her family. She's making sure her family has clothing. Wool and flax are what they made the the garments out of, and, and it says that, uh, you know, she works willingly with her hands. She's, she's ready to, to make the cloth, make the clothes for their families. She's going to make sure they're taken care of. Uh, if she had to, she's going to buy it, but she's going to make sure they're taken care of, it. and it says she works willingly. She's not, you know, she has a delight in the work that she's doing. And I think it's important for everybody when they find work, that they find work that they're willing to do that brings them great pleasure. Nothing's worse than to have somebody working at a job they can't stand. It makes their life miserable all day and it makes their family's life miserable when they all they do is complain about the work they're doing. And sometimes we have to do work that we don't like while we're looking for the job that we do like. Uh, there was one young lady when I was going to my second time of college getting my business degree and she she was in this field and she hated the work of the field. And she had this one class, she had to pass this class, it was a requirement for the degree, and it was the third or fourth time she took it. She had to pass it this time or she was not going to be able to take it again and could not get her, her degree that she wanted. And I looked at her and I'm going, well, why do you want this degree? And she goes, well, because people make lots of money in it. And I just told her, you never will because you don't like the work. You know, you may get a good job at first, but you're going to have the repud- You'll You'll be known as somebody who doesn't want it. You won't get the promotions, you won't... You know, you need to go find something you like doing and you don't want to be miserable the rest of your life and this is important for us to find work that we like to do and that and when we find the work is what god has called us to do some people are called to be spiritual leaders or teachers missionaries pastors others are called into the business world others are called just to be the workers Uh, there's some people that if if you gave them put them in charge of something nothing would get done because they just don't have that personality to be the leader and some people are just good workers and I've seen that many times in the restaurant business people would be promoted because they were a good worker but they couldn't lead anything anybody so all they did is work work themselves to death because they couldn't get others to do the job and so we need to find out what it is that God is asking us to do and do it whatever that might be and whatever God has given us the gifts to be able to do and, and, and helping us to do uh, it says in verse 14, she is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. And this idea of being like the merchant ship, she's moving around. She's seeking things. She's seeking good things. She's going to make sure her family has food, even if it has to come from afar away. But as we read on here, she's growing it and, and, and buying the fields and everything. But she's she's going to do whatever it takes to get her family fed. And this is important, this, this whole idea of being... And taking care of our families. Uh, in the New Testament it says a man who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an infidel. And and specifically men are to take care of their families, but in this case, you know, God is God is saying, you know, hey women, you have a part in this. You're not just to be lazy and sit back and do nothing either. And the thing about this is a good wife who is doing nothing but taking care of her family is working harder than most people that are out there making making a living and being paid for it. And this whole idea of degrading housewives is a terrible thing because they've got a very great influence on, their, on this world when they raise their families and they take care of the kids and they, and they raise them up and teach them how to, to be you know, righteous and get things done. And you know, to have the world say that their job is worthless just because they're not being paid on the outside world is a really sad thing and and i've seen the research and if you were to try to figure out how to pay pay a woman doing doing a, the housework and the and the raising of the kids even if you take them on part time like they would normally you know they like to add them all together and as if you hired a full time person to do all these things and that just makes the number way too big but but even if you were to pick part times you're still talking about a person who needs to be paid more than anybody's going to make but the eternal value of that job is 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 just unequivocal equivocal, you will not be able to figure it out. And it's the same thing for fathers. In the scriptures, the fathers are given the command to train their kids spiritually. And they need to take that seriously. Because when they stand before God, it's not, you know, God's not going to turn to the woman, Oh, woman, why did you not train this child? He's going to turn to the father and go, why didn't you make sure that your children did it? Well I turned it over my life. Well, why didn't you make sure she did it? You know, it's you know the one thing about being an authority is you are accountable. Whether you did it or not, or gave it to somebody else, you're still the one who's accountable. And I learned this well in the business world. As a manager, I couldn't say so-and-so is the reason it didn't get done. he goes, well, you're the boss. (laughs) You're the one that I'm holding responsible. You can hold whoever you want, but you are, your job was to ensure that it got done. And so, God would do the same thing to us. As, As husbands, he'll say, how have you treated your wife? You know, have you covered your wife? Have you protected your wife? As a father he says, Have you trained your children up spiritually? Have you made sure they gotten trained spiritually? Have you have you protected them? Uh, for those of us myself who's a pastor, have you protected your church? Have you trained your church? Have you have they grown, you know, have you done what it what I've asked you to do? For people who want to rule countries, it'll be have you taken you know, the same type of questions, have you taken care of the people in your in your care? And this is something that people have to understand. With authority comes great responsibility. And that's why God says in James 3, many of you ought not to be teachers for the greater judgment is, is due them. And it is important for us to understand authority equals responsibility. Now, You might say, well, I gave it to so-and-so, so I'm not responsible. But any good businessman you know, that's above you says, I don't care who you gave it to, it was your job to do it. And God will be good at that, saying, I gave it to you. I don't care who you assigned it to, but you are the one I'm holding accountable. You can hold somebody else accountable as far as you're concerned, but you're guilty. And this is she's, she's out there making sure. She rises also while it is yet night. We're very early in the morning. The sun hasn't come up. And she gives meat or food to her household and a portion to her maid. So she's taking care of everybody inside. And she's the one that gets up. Now... In reality, usually in a, in a place where there's servants, the, the servants end up taking care of feeding themselves and they take care of feeding the family. But in, in this picture, it's the, the woman of the house making sure that the inside staff is being taken care of and, that, uh, and her household is being taken care of. She's going to be providing for them and giving, making sure that they get food. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. And this is again the industrial side of her. She goes out and says, "Okay, we I need some more land to plant food." So she goes out and looks for a good piece of land that will grow food, and plants the plants it and makes sure you know make sure that it's planted. Now I don't know if she, you know if she would literally be the one that planted it, but she would make you know this this is an industrial industrious woman. She makes sure that it gets done, and this this woman is quite a quite an industrious person. Uh, this person is is able to maintain a house and a and a and her family and a business all at the same time. There's very few people that can do that, and I wouldn't want to try to see most most people trying to uh, most people in general trying to obtain this much work, because it will drive most people crazy trying to totally maintain a family uh, uh, a household and, and a business. This is it's enough to to cause people to go out and and lose it actually. She girds her loins in strength and strengthens her arms. And this strength that it's talking about is can be material or physical. It can also mean personal, social, political. This is literally all avenues of strength, okay? So she's getting to, she's getting strong, in this case, because it's talking about a woman, probably materially strong, you know, with, with wealth. She's getting socially strong. She's making connections and networking. Uh, you know, she gets to know people, and she might even be connected with the leaders of the town a little bit to say, hey, when I need something, I've got the, in, the, the muscle to, to pull the strings to get something accomplished. And this is the kind of strength, this is an all-encompassing strength. Uh, and sometimes these other strengths are better than physical strength. To, to know, the, know the right people to get things done is, is important. And then and she strengthens her arm, again, the same, the same type of thing. She perceives that her merchandise is good, her candle goes, uh, goes not out by night. So she looks at her stuff and she says, I'm making good stuff, I'm not making junk. And this idea of candle doesn't, going out, doesn't go out at night, she's busy into the night. Which in this particular time was very interesting because you got up in the morning when the sun, sun came up and you went to bed when the sun went down so for her, this woman is being described as getting up before the sun and working after the sun. This person's a workaholic, uh, doesn't know when to slow down, doesn't know when to stop. And that can be good as long as she's meeting all these other needs. It can be a good thing, but it can also be a very bad thing. Uh, so, and uh, she lays her hands on the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. And this is talking about her weaving, weaving, uh, weaving her cloth. So this woman is industrious. She's busy. She works late. She's, she's making sure the farms get taken care of. She's, she's making cloth at night. She's making sure that she buys good quality wool and flax. Um, like I say, this, this woman doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, there's nobody that can do everything. You know, No man can do all of this stuff either. So it's, it's not a matter of anybody. But this is a goal maybe to, to be able to look at uh, verse 20, she stretches out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She's very generous. She's going to help out the, the poor and the needy. She's going to try to get them to do, you know, be taken care of. She's not stingy and cares for them as well. Uh, verse tw- 21, she is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are colored in scarlet. And basically, when when it's cold, she's not afraid of them freezing freezing because she's given them good clothes. Scarlet was always more expensive clothing, usually probably better quality. Uh, Scarlet here also refers is actually the word for the crocus lily li, lilius, which we've talked about. It's a worm that goes up on a tree, lays its eggs, and dies above the eggs, and and turns crimson, and red, and is food for. The, the, the eggs when they hatch. And it's a picture of Jesus being hung on a tree, hatching his church and, you know, and covering them with his blood and being the food for his, because he is the, the bread of life, and so he's the food for us. So this whole idea when we see scarlet in the Old Testament is that picture of that worm that re- represents Jesus Christ. And we've talked about it before in, in various times, but it's a, quite a picture you know, out there this particular worm being hung on a tree, turning into red crimson colored blood, and being the food for the young that it has hatched underneath it because it hung on the tree and died, which is all about Jesus. And she makes herself coverings of, of tapestry, her clothing is of silk and purple, Silk and purple are very luxurious. They're kingly garments. Purple is the kingly color. Uh, silk is a very expensive, you, ha- you know, you didn't, you didn't get silk in, e- in Israel. It had to be imported. And so this is, you know, she's, she dresses fine. She dresses in, in good clothes and, and has, you know, the best in clothing so again this is this is not necessarily somebody that's you know out there but this is a very specific person it you know very this is the epitome the this is the ideal woman I guess you might say but nobody's going to reach this this state uh, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders, so her husband is freed up to to sit with the elders the the older people and and says he's known in there that means he's making decisions he's making they, they know who he is and he's he's a valued member of them and in those days we've talked about how the the men would sit at the gates and they, the rulers would sit at the gate and people would come to them with problems and issues and the elders the old the elders would make decisions as to who was right who was wrong and they would use the wisdom of their age and so this is talking about her husband being able to sit in, as a judge of the other people because he's honored. He's not worried about it. His household is running. His household is running good. He's able to sit amongst the the leaders in honor, and and, and not worry about everything. She makes fine linen and sells it and delivers girdles unto the merchants. So again, we got this idea, she's making her own linen and that talks, we've already talked about that twice now. She goes out and buys good, good uh, wool and flax and she weaves it and she, and it's good quality material that she's selling. When she sells something, it's, it's quality, it's not garbage. And by girdles it's talking about she's actually making clothes for the, you know, she's making the clothes and putting them out on the market. And, and people are, people will buy what it is that she bought, sells, and they look forward to. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. And this is kind of an interesting thing. Strength and honor, we talked about that. She's got herself networked, and honor, she is respected, are her clothing. So she's clothing herself in her reputation. And this is important for us to understand. This isn't just her that should be doing this. All people should clothe themselves in their reputation and, and know that they've got a, well, all people, let's put it this way, all people do clothe themselves in their reputation, and we need to make sure it's a good reputation and not a bad reputation that we're clothing ourselves in. And we've talked about this many times, the whole idea of what name represents, everything about us, the reputation And when we name ourselves to be God's people, we have a reputation that people expect from us. They look at us saying, you are somebody who claims to represent God, are you? Do you honestly walk the way God wants you? And this is where the whole idea of what would Jesus do or WWJD is a very good statement. What would Jesus do in these situations? And if we did more of that, we would be making better decisions. Somebody is fighting, ready to fight with us, what would Jesus do? Well, he would bring peace to the situation. He would, he would not fall into the trap, so we need to be very shrewd in the way we deal with that and not fall into their traps and bring love into the situation. Do we truly understand what love is for people? And this is a critical thing for us. How much do we truly understand and what do we truly believe about God? And I was listening to a pastor on Tuesday who was talking about this, and he says, people treat others the way they believe God treats them. And it's quite, it was quite interesting because most people will say, God forgives me. But they act like God hasn't forgiven them. Most, most people that are Christians will say, I believe that God loves me. But they treat others without the love of God, which tends to indicate that they don't know the love of God. And and the more I thought about it, the more I realized that that is a very, very true statement. We will treat others the way we believe God treats us. And that means that when you find a Christian who's very loving, they really understand that God loves them. When you meet a Christian who is very forgiving, you've met somebody who truly understands that God forgave them. And this is important for us to get to. And this goes back to the truth project that we did. Do you truly believe that what you believe is really real? Or do you really believe that what you believe is really real? And that is critical. Because so many times we say we believe something, but we don't really believe it. We say it because that's what Christians are supposed to say and do. when God allows us to be tested, and we've covered this many times, when we go through a test, God is testing whether we really believe what we say we believe or what we think we believe. And this way he can show us, I'm going to put an un- hard-to-love person in your path to see do you truly believe that, you- that I love them. And he wants to stretch us, and he'll stretch us. And he'll put, the more we learn to love, the more unlovable people he'll put in our path, the hard to love people he'll put into our path to stretch us even further. You know, when it's time to forgive, he'll put us in situations to say, will you forgive? Will you forgive this person? And sometimes that's a very hard thing to do. But when we learn to forgive, it becomes a great blessing. And God will then take us to the next one. He'll have somebody hurt, you know, do something that hurts us a little bit deeper and go, can you forgive this person? because he wants us to learn to forgive like he does. He wants us to learn to love like he does. He wants us to learn to have patience. And each test will be harder. And on one side, that's kind of a depressing thought, that every time I pass a test, there's a harder test coming. (laughs) But God is still my strength. He's the one that says, I'm gonna crucify your flesh, and I'm gonna be the one that lives through you. And as long as I understand that he's the one living through me, the test isn't that big a deal, because he's the one that, that passes the test, not me. All I have to do is surrender. And so all of it comes down to how surrendered am I to God? How surrendered am I to God? How surrendered will I let myself be to God? He wants total surrender. We'll probably never get to total surrender because if we got to total surrender, we'd be perfect and he'd just take us home. But that is what he's seeking from us, total surrender to just sit back and say, God, I surrender to you. I'm not going to fight you anymore. I want to get it done. And then it says, and she shall rejoice in time to come. And this means laugh and play. So she understands that there's a time for laughing and playing and, and just enjoying herself, but she's going to be very industrious. Now, the problem with most workaholics are they forget that there is a time to, to laugh and play and rejoice. <laughs> they just work. And they work to the point of you know, killing themselves a lot of times because they just don't know how to, to slow down and enjoy life. And saying that she knows that that's going to come, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness or the instruction of kindness. Now she opens her mouth and she speaks wisdom. This should be all of us. All of us should be speaking wisdom. And her tongue is the law of kindness. You know, instruction and kindness, and instruction has to be kind. Because if it's not kind, people resent it. They're probably going to resent it even if it is kind because they don't like instruction. But if it's not kind, they're really going to rebel against it. It's hard enough to give instruction when somebody knows you mean well and that you're going to be kind to them. But this says the virtuous woman has her tongue filled with kindness and, and wisdom. And one of the things that I think about this virtuous woman is it's a picture of what the church is supposed to be being God's bride, being God's, God's people. So I really believe that a lot of this is who the church is supposed to be and all that it's supposed to do and caring for the poor, making sure that things are taken care of. She looks well to the ways of her household and eats not the bread of idleness. So again, she's making sure that everybody in her house is doing what they're supposed to do. Whether it's the servants, the kids, whatever it is, she's making sure people are doing what they're supposed to and she's not idle. It is so easy to be idle. Uh, our flesh wants to be idle a lot of times, and especially in our world, it's easy to be idle because we we have these little boxes in our houses that we like to vegetate in front of and just do nothing. And then then people will tell you, well, I just didn't have time to do something. And I go, you know, and you think about that, you know, because I've almost said that occasionally. Well, I didn't have time, and then I think, you know, how much how much TV did I watch? You know, I watched two hours. Well, that was two hours I could have done something in. So we want to be careful, you know. I didn't have enough time well how much time did we waste not 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 using it wisely and very very critical and then it comes to the end the blessings for all of this her children arise up and call her blessed and her husband also he praises her a good wife her children her children will bless their mom and the husband will praise her this is something I love to see and try very hard I don't want to say anything negative about my wife because I she she is a very wonderful woman she does a lot of good things and I want people to know that she deserves (laughs) blessings she deserves the praise that she can get and the children coming up and saying I have a great mother I have a great father this is important for us if we've done our job our children rise up and say you've done a good job now oftentimes, even if you've done a good job, they may still come up and say, you've done a bad job. <laughs> you know, I'm, you're the reason for all my problems and all the stuff that goes on, and especially in today's world where we've got an entire industry out there of sociologists and psychologists saying, you know, blame your parents. Find out why you are what you are and blame, and blame it on your circumstances. You, know, you, 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 are a, you are a product of all the things that happened to you in your life. And while that statement is partially true, we still have responsibility for our decisions. And this is why I say, when I teach, I have to be careful that I teach good things because I'm responsible for everything that I teach. But that does not take the, the, the burden off of the people that I teach to to say, well, because he taught me wrong, I made bad decisions. No, you're still responsible to check out what's taught and and make sure it's good. And this is one of the things I, I was, talked over to my cousins a lot of times. They would tell me what they learned in school and I'm going, do you believe that? Well, yeah, because I heard it in school. Have you researched it? Do you really know what it is that they've said and why you believe it? Well, no. I go, well, then you need to go, you can't just believe it because somebody taught you. No matter what it is. You know, and this is why when I teach, I want people to be good Bereans. I want them to go to the scriptures. I want them to research what's said. I want them to dig deep in the scriptures and say, yes, I believe it now. Not just because pastor said it but because I know that it's true and it's very very important because I meet so many Christians and you ask them "Well, why do you believe what you believe well my Sunday school teacher taught it my pastor you know my former pastor taught it or I heard it on a you know on the radio from a pastor well is it true is it true and I love to ask that question of people why what is your verse that supports this where why do you believe what it is that you what you believe and it is critical for us to get to this point of I believe this because it's in God's Word this is what God's Word says and know that it's there a lot of people will tell you money is the root of root of all evil and that is not what the scripture says they're misquoting that particular verse it says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money itself. Money, money itself is neutral. It is not good or bad. What I do it for to get it or what I do with it can be bad or good, but the money itself is neutral. You know, when computers first came out, a lot of people in churches were going, oh they're evil, they're bad, and all this other stuff. No, a computer is a neutral, neutral creation. It can be used for good, it can be used for bad. It can be used to waste a lot of time. In, in these days but it is neither good nor bad work is neither good nor bad it's what I do with work and how I react to it even the TV and the radio is not good or bad but what I what I spend my time doing with it can be and this is why we've got to understand what is good and bad is totally dependent on how I interact with it you know neutral things are neutral certain sins are, are definitely bad you know they're, they're bad sins you don't get involved with them Uh, There are things that are immoral you don't want to get involved with. But things in themselves are not good or bad. And we want to be able to say very carefully, you know, money is not necessarily good or bad. It is just a tool that we use to get by in this life. And this whole idea of their children praising them, of the husband praising them, one of the things I have never been able to stand, and I've said this before, is you know when I hear somebody saying, "Well, you know, I used to hear it in the workforce, I got to go home to the battle axe. and it's like, I thought you loved your wife. Well, well I do. I go, why would you be, use such a derogatory term toward that person? You know, the ball and chain, the battle axe. You know, it's like my son used one. Says, "I'm broke because I'm married. I'm broke all the time," and that's not I'm a good. Married. That's not a. And that's a very negative way to look at marriage. I told him that's not a good thing. And. You know, because there's probably other reasons they're broke, you know, but but this whole idea that marriage is bad is not something that is godly. If you're married, it is a godly thing. And it should be held up with great esteem, and your wife should be praised. Uh, I had a, a gentleman one time that was talking about his wife in a very negative way, and I just looked at him I'm going, why would you talk about your wife that way? You know, she she's a very godly woman trying the best that she can to do th- good things, and there's no reason... We're talking about her that way and you know and you just thought for a moment and agreed but it's critical for us how do we look at others what do we say about others not just even our wives but how do we look at one another how do we look at individuals around us that are in our life are we speaking praiseworthy things of them or are we cutting them down behind their back are we tearing them down their back behind their back and this is what is so important I want every word I speak about my wife to be good when I, you know, when I'm behind her, because I want her to know that she is loved and she's cared for, and and that I'm not going to say bad things about her to other people because that's no, not true, and we need to be doing that with all those people in our life, you know, uh, not destroying, not cutting down, not not tearing apart. Verse twenty nine. Many daughters have done virtuously, but you excel them all, and this is the praise that her husband gives. You know. There are many wonderful women out there, but you are better than all of them. And that should be the, <laughs> if you're married to somebody, that should be your thought. You know, you know uh, well, I just said, you know, that shouldn't be, I just settled for the, <laughs> you know, what I could find on, you, know, you know, at the time. And, you know, no, we should be looking at this and saying, I picked a wonderful woman and she excels all the other women. Because if you don't have that attitude, you may be looking for somebody else. And that's part of what leads to divorce and, and all, and infidelity you know we need to look and say we've got we've got it we've got we've got it made in verse 30 favor is deceitful and beauty is vain but a woman that fears the Lord she shall be praised favor grace charm you know, says those things are deceitful and they are used to flirt they are used to to entrap they are used to you know and they're then they're good to a degree, but they also they're not necessarily the true person. The true person is the one that you are with all the time, and usually it's not good. And it says, and beauty is vain, and it says literally it is brief. It just it ends, and all of us know that no matter how ugly we might think we are now, we know that one day when we were when we were handsome or we were beautiful, and we grew old, <laughs> uh, our hair turned gray, we got wrinkles, the the muscles all turned to flab, and it says you know beauty is short and it says but a woman that fears the Lord shall be praised true beauty true beauty and this is one of the things I bought that, that I talked about a lot you can have the most beautiful woman but if she has has a mean-spirited personality she won't look pretty for a long time in a matter of fact she'll look pretty ugly very quick and there's a lot of men that have married the beautiful woman because they fell for the looks and the charm and then realized that they married somebody with no beauty in their, in their soul and they regret it deeply because there's no no, pr- no, pr- uh, no beauty there and I've always told young guys that have talked to me about this I'm going you make sure that you marry somebody that has a beautiful soul more than all the good looks that you can find because the soul is going to be what's beautiful for long term not the, the beauty will fade and go away and, a, and somebody who doesn't have the right relationship with God and the right, the right loving attitude will be, will be a bitter, ugly person very quick. And we need to be able to look at that. And we need to be ourselves a beautiful person in our heart that's got our souls cleansed and, and the flesh crucified so that we can be the beautiful person in return to somebody. The, the godly person, the, the person with a true soul that has beauty. In verse 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her at the gates. And this is the ultimate goal. Are we being praised because of the good that's done? In this case, the woman. But I think this one can actually go much beyond just the woman. This is really, and this is why I have a feeling it belongs to the, the beauty of the church. The beauty of the church is that we're all to be this we're all to get the praise of the good that we do rather than because i've manipulated my way or or use strength to get it get a higher position but praise here the boast the glory having people say that you're doing good things and not to give us a great big swollen head look at all i look at all i've done But to have people say good things, we all feel good when that happens, and we want people to say good things about us. You know, the last thing we wanna have somebody say, oh, you know, stay away from that person. You know, they're gonna use you up, and you know, uh, they're they're a terrible person to be around. That's not what we wanna hear. We wanna hear people saying, you know, hey, that's a really good person to be around. You want to spend time around them. They're gonna, you're gonna feel good being around them. They're gonna be able to help you. They're gonna be able to encourage you. And these kind of things, we let others praise us. We're not to be praising ourselves. That, and nothing is worse than being around somebody who's always praising themselves. Look at me. I've done this. I've done that. I've done this. And I've done that. And, you know, I'm the, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, you know, look at me. And none of us want to be around that kind of a person. And too many people in the flesh want to be that person. You know, look at me. Look what I am doing. And we are done. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at what a virtuous, not just woman, but virtuous person looks like. And we want to ask you that you help us to be virtuous people, that we will lift up you in all that we do, and that we'll let you crucify our flesh and move us forward. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.